0: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The UK government surprised many with the announcement of its Swap to Stop program, which aims to provide 1 million smokers in England with a free vaping starter kit as a part of a package of measures to get smoking rates below 5% by 2030. The Swap to Stop initiative seems like a likely next step following years of collaboration between the government, the National Health Service, And the Royal College of Physicians. The RCP represents over 40,000 doctors across 80 countries around the world. It's the oldest and most prestigious organization in Western medicine, and it's been a driving force behind vape-friendly policies in Britain. Joining us today to discuss the new program is Dr. Sanjay Agrawal, the National Specialty Advisor for Tobacco Dependency at NHS England, Chair of the Royal College of Physicians Tobacco Advisory Group and Consultant in Respiratory and Intensive Care Medicine. Dr. Agrawal, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, how important is the Swap to Stop Program Scheme to getting smoking rates below 5% in England by 2030?
1: It's really important because it shows determination from this government and the Department of Health that it wants to tackle the epidemic of tobacco addiction. So on that level, it's, it's fantastic. It's great. I'm super supportive of it. If there was a question about what more could have been done, well, obviously, there's lots more to do. And what is that? So the UK, as with many countries, they produce tobacco control plans, which have usually comprehensive um, set of plans to reduce smoking prevalence. And in 2017, the government published a five-year tobacco control plan that essentially expired last year. So what we were expecting and hoping for in England was another renewal of the tobacco control plan. And the idea is that it would set a number of targets across a whole variety of um, smoking so for example youth smoking or adult smoking rates or pregnancy smoking rates Um, and it would they would be ambitious stretch targets for us to reach uh, using the implementation of a number of tobacco control measures alongside the swap to stop scheme there were six or seven other things that were announced but it didn't in the end, become the Tobacco Control Plan. And I think these announcements uh, essentially replace the Tobacco Control Plan for England. Now, you'll be aware that New Zealand published their Tobacco Control Plan, I think, last year. And that was super ambitious. They wanted to achieve a smoking prevalence rate of less than 5% by 2025, uh, whereas the UK have a target of less than 5% by 2030. And the announcements announced last week won't come close to achieving
0: that. So you're saying that it's not aggressive enough. However, though, what they did announce was pretty darn good. Yes.
1: Yes. So, you know, they could have done more, but what I would like to see, you know, we've got something like 5.4 million smokers in England. I would have liked to have seen a plan that addressed treating all of them, not just a million of them
0: so putting a million vaping starter kits into you know the hands of smokers that in and of itself has got to be like a massive shot in the arm to accelerating uh the effort correct
1: yeah no that's a huge help but remember you know vaping kits are very common over here people can buy them themselves from the corner shop so it's not as though they're being imported from another planet they're already here we have you know, three and a half million people who vape already, who are paying for their own vape kits. So, you know, it's a great soundbite. It's a great announcement. The ambition of getting 1 million people to stop smoking and use vapes to help them quit is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, But actually, you know, there are lots of treatments available for smokers now um, that have NRT, have behavioral support. We have stop smoking services provided by our local um, government services and in the NHS. They're all freely available. The real question is, how do people know that that help is there? How do you make it as easy as possible for them to access it? How do we reach those communities where smoking prevalence is the highest and they're usually the most deprived communities? So what are we going to do to address that? Now, the swap to stop, stop scheme will help because it will probably be targeted at those most deprived communities fantastic. Um, But yeah, there's a whole range of measures that we could do on top of that. There's also the worry that there could be some double counting in the future. So look, people are already using vapes to stop smoking. Um, So we need to make sure that any
0: new funding that comes in isn't double
1: counted with services that are already
0: there. As a part of the world first national scheme, right, we're looking at almost one in five of the smokers in England will be provided these kits. Did that program come as a surprise to you? and your colleagues at the Royal College of Physicians?
1: Well, I would say that um, it's not a surprise in so much as the UK um, has encouraged the use of vaping to help people quit smoking, um, like New Zealand. Uh, So that's great. And actually, there was a pilot scheme um, in Manchester about five years ago that showed some really excellent results from a similar scheme, whereby over 1,000 people were offered free vapor starting kits together with behavioral support. Um, They found about 600 people engaged with this program and about 400 people quit smoking and that was CO validated at a month. So we know that the scheme, if rolled out in a similar way to the scheme in Manchester five years ago, has excellent success rates. And actually the cost of the program was actually um, less costly than other stop smoking programs. So, by giving people vape kits um, together with behavioral support delivered by stop smoking specialists, you know, was more effective than maybe some of the other usual um, things. So, NRT, dual NRT, or vareniclin, or other things. So, it was cost effective uh, and it was popular. And we know that in the UK, Vaping is the single most popular smoking cessation aid amongst people trying to stop smoking.
0: Let's step back for a minute and talk about the RCP and its groundbreaking history with regard to smoking. In 1962, the Royal College of Physicians published the report Smoking and Health, which conclusively, I think for the very first time, linked smoking to lung cancer. It really did create a media storm, didn't it?
1: Yes, yeah, so look, that was um, that was a great report, and it really changed the way that uh, academic societies and organisations reported information. So, previous to that, they would have reported an association, as as you have in lots of research studies that are published in journals all over the world. But this time, specifically. Based on the findings of their research, they also recommended a change in public policy. And that was the new thing. So for the first time, you had an academic organisation using research to make policy recommendations and presenting those policy recommendations to government. And um, you'll be aware, Brent, that the, the report suggested um, seven or eight key features. So for example, reducing the harm of smoking to people who don't smoke, so secondhand smoke. Uh, For the first time, they recommended treating tobacco addiction, which wasn't really recognized. It wasn't thought of as tobacco addiction. It was just thought of a lifestyle thing, like you know what clothes are you gonna wear today? Well, smoking was just part of lifestyle. But for the first time it recognized addiction and the need to treat addiction. But it also recognized things like the um, perverse way in which the tobacco industry was advertising and promoting um, their products, their lethal products. Um, and it recommended restrictions on this. It recommended that um, children be protected and that there be strict age limits at when people could take up smoking. Um, so, and, and also advertising. So there were so many things that that report recommended for public policy that went on to be adopted in other countries like the United States, but also became the framework, um, some of the founding principles of the Framework Convention for Tobacco Control, published by the WHO some 20 years ago. So yeah, it was a groundbreaking report of the time and actually subsequently we published many other reports looking at other facets of smoking and its impact on health. So mental health disorder, for example, on children, um, and of course, harm reduction.
0: Yeah, it's extraordinary just how much at the centre of all this now for half a century RCP has been.
1: Yeah, and we look—we're very lucky in the UK, and we have actually a network of organisations. There's so the RCP, which is, as you say, an organisation that represents forty thousand doctors. It's been around for over five hundred years, but we couldn't do it on it on our own. And actually, they were fabulous advocacy agencies like action for smoking on health which the RTP started in 1970 to really focus on advocating uh, for tobacco control and Ash has now kind of um, left home as it were uh, from the RCP and it's, it's got its own identity and is it's hugely successful in advocating for tobacco control and equally we have a very strong academic infrastructure, Um, who work on aspects of tobacco control. So in the UK, we're very lucky. We've got this, you know, triumvirate of academia, um, the RCP and ASH, and other organizations like Cancer Research UK, who are all working uh, to the same purpose, which is reducing the harm from tobacco.
0: To the legacy of what RCP did in 1962 with regards to smoking in 2016, the RCP came out with a report called Nicotine Without Smoke, which we actually covered here on RegWatch. Back then, your predecessor, John Britton, was on the show to talk about it. Now, that report really set the groundwork for all of the aspects of tobacco harm reduction, including recommendations to government on how to best regulate uh, nicotine vaping products. Tell us about that report in 2016, and then compare it to today and what's happening in the UK, are, are they aligned?
1: Yeah, so thank you. So I, I would say that everything pretty much that was said in that report still stands. So that report recognized the opportunity for harm reduction uh, to save countless lives and morbidity um, and cost to individuals, society, communities by substituting vaping entirely for tobacco in those people who use tobacco that report advocated switching from tobacco to vaping to reduce the harm from tobacco recognizing that most people smoke because of the nicotine in tobacco and using therefore another form of nicotine in this case vaping as we're all aware there are other forms of nicotine like patches and you know, uh, uh, short-acting medicinal-licensed nicotine. But this was another product. And we know in 2016, um, the e-cigarette usage had gone up pretty much since 2012 in the UK. So it was an important time to look at, okay, so what's the impact of e-cigarettes today? What do we know about them? Still very new. But it wasn't the first time that the RCP had looked at nicotine in general. And I think the report in 2016 followed a report from 2007, actually before e-cigarettes were around. And even the 2007 report talked about proportionate regulation of nicotine. So we know that there are medicinal products licensed, so NRT patches, et cetera. Um, E-cigarettes were a new device that had now come onto the market by 2016 and now needed to be counted and considered and the data analyzed. So the report in 2016 actually said they had a place in helping people to quit tobacco because they would replace the nicotine addiction from tobacco with nicotine and e-cigarettes. But that report also um, highlighted some unintended consequences. So it highlighted the fact that we needed to keep a close eye on, for example, uh, naive uh, people who've never used nicotine or non-smokers from using e-cigarettes. And it said that's one of the things that we need to do. We need to to look out for any unintended consequences, to look at um, reports, toxicology data, uh, to look at other signals that might suggest we need to do something different. So I think that report was groundbreaking in that it advocated switching from tobacco to e-cigarettes to reduce harm to stop smoking but it also said we should look out for unintended consequences and then act appropriately so i would say in some ways the only thing that's changed in 2023 is now we have another seven years worth of data to look at to look at any unintended consequences and then to
0: decide what policy uh, levers we use Certainly over the course of the last seven years, there's been considerable hysteria over vaping that's developed in North America, for one, at the global level, at the WHO, and so forth. And then even in the UK, is the tobacco advisory group concerned at all about some of the hysteria and opposition towards vaping that we've seen, maybe more in North America?
1: Yeah, so we know that the vaping debate is there. That it polarises people, even in the tobacco control community, which is a real shame because the tobacco control community, one would hope, would be focused on all of the measures associated with tobacco control, not one relatively small area. Um, so, yeah, it is a concern. However, it's important that we, as a tobacco control community, including at the RTP, reflect on the data and any new data on any trends. So what we do at the RCP is we use evidence. We look at the literature, we look at external reports, we look at other countries, including all the countries who voiced concerns, and we examine the evidence. And then we have to come up with a view on that and recommendations. So for example, actually, uh, we are actually at the moment um, in process of looking at the data again about e-cigarettes, looking at uh, trends in adults and children, looking at safety profiles, looking at effectiveness, um, and where we think policy should go. we hope to publish that report toward the end of this year or maybe early next year. So look, we're going to do a continuous sweep of the data and the literature, because it's such a fast-moving area that evokes such emotion among so many people and governments uh, and we want to be ahead of the curve with the data
0: I wonder why it does it engender so much emotion and, and because don't isn't smoking deadly and don't we want to get people off and from what I understand and we've been told is that nicotine is not the demon drug that it's being made out to be yes yeah, so, so nicotine isn't the demon drug it's
1: the thousands of other carcinogens in tobacco smoke that are the demon drugs. So look, you raise a brilliant point there, Brent. So the reason that the e-cigarette debate is so polarised, I believe, is because it depends on which risk lens you're talking about or which lens you're looking through. Um, And you might be looking at the lens of are vapes effective in helping people to quit smoking? And the answer is resoundingly yes for that. Um, you might be looking through the risk lens of, is long-term nicotine use harmful? Do we want to have a whole group of people addicted to nicotine? And if you're looking through that lens, you might be very worried about e-cigarettes in general, and not so much focused on the smokers that are using e-cigarettes. You're going to be more concerned about the youth uptake of e-cigarettes, understandably, as am I. You might be looking at the lens of, well, we don't know what the long-term effects of vaping off for people who take them for 20 years. And none of us know that because I haven't been around for 20 years. But that might concern you. Um, you might be looking at dual use. So look, there are there are literally um, a dozen different questions or lenses. The, t- the role of the tobacco industry. Why do they own some of the e-cigarette companies? And are you perpetuating tobacco industry profits because you're using e-cigarettes? So, so depending on which lens you're looking through, you will come to different conclusions. But I think in the UK, and I would say of course New Zealand, we have a proportionate view. So we look at different lenses and we balance risks. So I would I would say that vapes are great for people who want to quit smoking. In fact, that's the only circumstance that I would say vapes are great for. But I would say if you've never smoked and if you're a child, never vape, why would you do that? Why would you inhale a hot, heated liquid, you know, there is no reason to do that. Um, So, and I would support legislation or um, other levers to reduce people who've never used vapes to use them because I don't think they should. So so the reason that the debate is so polarized is because it depends which one you're giving the most weight to and, and whether you feel It's proportionate.
0: Why is it the case that somebody who's never used nicotine wouldn't be allowed to use nicotine in this manner? Because it's not that um, we have a policy that says that if you've never had alcohol, then you can never choose to use alcohol. At what point do you decide that this beer is not appropriate for the protection of public health? In Canada, cannabis is legal recreationally. So do, you know, the government doesn't say, "Hey, if you've never burned a joint before you're 18, we're you are never allowed to go into a government cannabis store and buy a joint," but yet you can, right? So it's just the messaging around, you know, comparing apples and apples almost in some case. Um, is- well, that's the thing. Yeah, and
1: and oftentimes people when they get into the tobacco control vaping debate. Um some of them may be uh, specialists in, in tobacco control all their lives and and still not like the role that vapes play. And there's definitely a, a cohort of, of, of those people, but there's lots of armchairs, armchair viewers who have got who know nothing about tobacco control who also have a view. Um a lot, you know, that's human nature. Now your point there was a really good one. So can I, as a tobacco control advocate, who say that vaping is only should only ever be used with um, people who quit smoking and want to quit smoking. I would love to have that power, but I don't in society. I have no, I have no influence over consumer products. You know, there's lots of consumer products. I probably would say, why are we using this as a society? It's pointless. It's wasteless. It has no role, but they're still there. Um, And then we get into the commercial determinants of health. Um, And, you know, there's lots of those. So why do people smoke? Because tobacco industry make profit. You know, why do people eat foods heavy in salt and fat? It's because of corporate profits. Why do people gamble? You know, in the UK there's an epidemic of gambling advertising, and the the the, the number of people now gambling and addicted to gambling is off the scale. There are lots of things commercial products that are harmful um and you know i i would say the role of vaping is only for i only advocate them
0: for people who want to stop smoking some people and myself included would say that there's a tobacco control infrastructure and industry that is threatened by something that could so successfully remove this as a public health issue
1: yeah i think I mean, maybe it's some subconscious level. I've never really, I'm not aware of that. That doesn't mean that that it doesn't exist. But, you know, we know that the tobacco epidemic globally, including low and middle income countries, is alive and kicking. So, you know, six trillion cigarettes were manufactured, I think, in 2019. Um, The number of people who died from tobacco related ease these last years 8 million there's 1.3 billion smokers so you know i don't think the tobacco epidemic is going anywhere soon because of the commercial determinants of health it's too many um too too many people are profiting from the the cultivation and the selling of tobacco the industry will kick and fight every step of the way. So I don't think there's any danger that that vaping is gonna replace um, tobacco control advocates in my lifetime or even, you know, the next two or three generations, sadly. So so in terms of the, why is there such a schism in tobacco control circles? It might be that, you know, some people who are really against it might be against it because of, for example, tobacco industry interference and control, which is a big thing. I mean, who likes the tobacco industry? I mean, you know, that they're responsible literally for a product that has killed millions and millions of people. So why would you trust a company who sells them? So some advocates who are against, tobacco control advocates who are against vaping, you know, might have That is the overriding lens that they look through as
0: opposed to anything else. So is it problematic then that the major tobacco companies are involved in the safer nicotine product space? Yes, so
1: it leads to dissonance, doesn't it? In that, you know, how can a company that profits from producing tobacco and continues to sell it with freedom in low and middle income countries, addicting millions of new smokers every year, how can they then try and make out that they are they want to be smoke free, they want the world to be smoke free. You know, it, it feels doesn't quite make sense. You know, they could stop producing tobacco and selling it tomorrow if they wanted to.
0: In the twenty sixteen report, and what I really liked about it, and I, I talked a bit about this with John back then in twenty sixteen, which was this uh the the comment on regulation that was made in nicotine without smoke. I've got a line here. Regulation of e-cigarettes should also ensure products that deliver nicotine do so in doses smokers would find satisfying.
1: Yeah, um, so so I would agree it needs to be the right amount for the individual. For most people, 20-20 milligrams will replace what they were getting through tobacco smoke. Um Nicotine salts deliver much higher levels and may be behind some of the increase that we've seen in people vaping and youth vaping especially. So how that is in the end regulated will need to be decided by country, right? Um, So in the UK, we have the European Tobacco Product Directive that became part of UK law before uh, before Brexit occurred, and and there are regulations. Um, I think the other thing that the report, the RCP report in 2016 said, which is true, is that nicotine regulation needs to be proportionate to the harm of the product. So you've got tobacco on one end of the spectrum. We don't quite yet know where heat not burn tobacco products are, but they're probably closer to cigarettes than e-cigarettes. E-cigarettes are probably more in the middle of the harm spectrum, if at all, or maybe further to the other end. And then you've got things like nicotine pouches, for example, um, and you've got uh, medicinal nicotine. So there's a whole range of products now that have nicotine in them. Some of them are medicinal, some of them are consumer products, and some of them are tobacco products. And the regulation
0: of these products needs to be proportionate the risk those products pose. So then let me ask you specifically, in fact, today, the day that we're shooting this interview, just hours ago, the province of Quebec and Canada dropped a flavor ban. And in 45, I think 45 to 90 days, I think in 90 days, that'll be it. There will be no flavors in the entire province of Quebec, except for tobacco and unflavored. So it's a full ban. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on something like that, or specifically to what Quebec is doing? So I would say, for me, that might be um,
1: disproportionate. So we know that there are lots of people who smoke, who use e-cigarettes to quit smoking. And one of the draws for them is the flavors, because they no longer want to taste tobacco, so a lot of times people start e cigarettes with the tobacco flavor to get used to the device, I suppose. But then they switch because they don't want the tobacco flavor because they are no longer smokers and they're trying to quit smoking. So by quitting, by by banning flavors, you're restricting the efficacy of a product that is very effective at helping people to quit smoking. Now, I can understand the reason they have banned flavors is because they're looking through the risk lens of children taking up vaping. And this is what we talked about earlier. A lot of legislation from from countries depends on which risk lens or which lens you're looking through. So if you're looking through the uh, vapes and flavors can help people quit smoking, you wouldn't ban them. You wouldn't ban flavors. If you're looking at Kids are attracted to bubblegum flavor, and that's why they're starting to vape. And we don't want people who've never smoked to vape. That's why you're going to ban flavors. Um, long-term safety data, a lot of the flavors um, don't seem to have a signal around harm, except cinna um, aldehyde. Um, and so if you were going to ban a flavor, it would be the flavors that contain this component called cinna but to ban
0: all flavors would seem disproportionate and counterproductive. So, are nicotine vapes a gateway for teens to smoke?
1: Okay, so that's a great question. People who vape or kids who vape, some proportion of them will go on to smoke. Kids who smoke, some proportion of them will stop smoking and vape it's largely the same group of people that will experiment with both. If, let's say, 2015, seven years ago, where the, lots of people vaping in the UK in 2015, 2018, 2019, if all of those kids who were vaping, that us a major gateway to smoking, we would be seeing a massive increase in smoking rates amongst the 18 and 24-year-olds we have seen exactly the opposite. So is Canada, so is the US. In fact, smoking rates in that age band are at historic lows. So it it, it seems odd that we are at a population level, we're not seeing thousands more cigarette smokers, from kids who would have vaped five years ago. It's just not appearing. Now that doesn't mean say it can't happen in the future, and we need to be vigilant, of course. And I don't wanna see you know, 20% of all kids vaping, believe me, I, I don't, I don't wanna see that. Um, but in terms of the gateway
0: theory, we're not seeing that in prevalence smoking prevalence studies. Right, and for a profession that is based on studying effects at the population level, You can't deny the fact that there isn't an effect. Well, the effect is that it has not happened and it should have happened by now if it was indeed uh, a trigger. Yes, exactly that. Does nicotine harm the developing brain? Essentially gives people brain damage.
1: Yeah. So there are some studies that show nicotine, I think at high levels can affect the developing brain for sure. And that's happening in smokers who continue to smoke during the first trimester and subsequent trimesters of their pregnancy. We know that there are some studies now, so Peter Hajek published one in the New England Journal, I think last year now, looking at um, e-cigarette use in people who were pregnant um, and found that actually some of the markers of um, harm from tobacco were reduced in people who were using e-cigarettes instead of smoking, such as birth weight. So there's a signal that e-cigarettes in pregnancy may reduce smoking and reduce some of the harm from smoking. Now, clearly we need more studies to show this, uh, and we need time to show this, but that's they seem to be the initial signals and it, it makes intuitive sense. You're not taking in as much nicotine and you're not actually exposed to 7,000 other chemicals that are there in combusted
0: tobacco smoke versus e-cigarette vapour. Are nicotine vapes toxic? Your doctor, Royal College of Physicians, are, are vapes toxic? We hear that all the time. So um, it depends on
1: what you mean. So when we measure the component parts of e-cigarette vapour, so the things that people inhale, and we compare that to the smoke of combusted cigarette smoke, the number of um, toxicants in e-cigarette vape is an order of magnitude lower than it is in combusted cigarette smoke. So the number of toxicants is lower, and even those toxicants that are still there, uh, they are in much lower concentrations. Now, when you split out the toxicants with respect to whether those toxicants are associated with cardiovascular disease or respiratory disease or um, uh, 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 cancers, uh, we know that when you compare vapors with smokers, the levels of those toxicants are all lower across cancer, respiratory disease, and cardiovascular disease. When you look at the toxicants of vapors versus non-smokers, so people who don't smoke, then um, there are toxicants that are higher in vape versus people who don't smoke at all. Okay, whereas they're similar for people with respiratory tox in respiratory toxicants and cardiovascular toxins so the the take-home message there is that the amount of toxic components in vape is much lower than in combusted tobacco smoke it's higher compared to non-smokers with respect to carcinogens in the vape but why would a non-smoker use a vape the message from in the uk is vape if you want to quit smoking and continue to vape if there's no risk of you relapsing to smoking. So that's the issue about ongoing vaping as in your case. Now, um, if you've never vaped, if you've never smoked, don't vape, that's fairly straightforward. And that vaping is not harm free. So possibly somebody like yourself who, uh, is nine years from quitting smoking, still vaping. I don't know how you assess your your risk of relapsing to smoking if you didn't vape. If you assess that actually it's quite significant, then I would say carry on vaping because it's much less harmful than smoking. If you're vaping because you want to vape, you find it pleasurable, it's helping you, I would say um, that's fine.
0: But be aware it's not risk-free. Is there the same problem in England as we know here in North America that it seems to be that medical practitioners, doctors, nurses seem to have a disproportionate understanding uh, of vape, like they believe vaping is as harmful or even more harmful than smoking?
1: Yeah, and it's a real problem. So um, wherever you are in the world, people seem to have their own opinion they're kind of armchair commentators um and it's a shame it's a shame that um people aren't following the evidence on effectiveness and being proportionate with which lens they look through so they are effective to help people to quit smoking but you know we don't want people to use them if they're never smokers um We don't want kids to use them. They're safer than smoking, but they're not harm free. So I think each country and each individual, if if you're a medical health professional, for example, or a nurse or whomever, the nuances of the messages are quite difficult for people to really see. And they seem to be influenced by one thing or the other, rather than taking everything in the round. Um, And maybe because it is a complex subject and in the end, nothing is binary. There are always nuances to, um, to, to to these sorts of things, so it's a shame. And, and I hope that over the course of time, people will see. Well, hold on, New Zealand um, they they've introduced this um, and, and really back it. Uh, the UK is really backing it, and hopefully, over the course of time, more countries will come on board as longer-term data comes out. Are you
0: excited and hopeful?
1: I'm guarded, actually, because the debate has been raging now for, what, 10 years or something. Um, and it, it seems to be evenly balanced. Uh, if you don't mind me saying so, it's a bit like the whole Republican-Trump debate in the US or the anti vaxing debate, you know, for some. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know why there are arguments about these things. You would think it would be fairly clear but that's human nature, I suppose. And it's our job as the Royal College of Physicians to use evidence, to to base our recommendations on evidence. Um, And that's what we will continue to do.